This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, movie lovers, to Popcorn Talks Anatomy of Movie as we dissect Steven Sonnenberg's return to film with, of course, Logan Lucky. So stay tuned as we dissect the 10 rules of making a great heist. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Take that country road, take it home. John Denver, sing to me. This was a great motif in this amazing movie, Logan Lucky. We have, of course, Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. My name is Phil Svitek. Missing from action today is Dimitri Panos. Yes. He unfortunately uh, could not do this. He could not, although he did want to. So um, him and I might do like a 10-minute bonus episode to get his <laughs> thoughts, which will be just me introducing him and him just talking. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it might be 20 minutes. Um, nevertheless, uh, if you're joining us for the very first time, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. We appreciate you either way. Um, know that um, we are very spoiler-filled, so we assume that you've seen the movie, so if you haven't, you've been forewarned. Also note that uh, as we dissect the movie, both in terms of storyline and production, you guys can follow our notes, and um, there's, a, there's a link in the description box, so that way you get to follow along, because um, we sort of talk about these things, but we might not hit on every single one of them, because we don't want to be just reading notes and facts right. verbatim. Um, but as we always do, let us start with the beginning with overall quick thoughts. Overall, I generally liked this movie. I was always a big fan of the Oceans movies, and I'm a big fan of the actors and the cast that's in this film. So I was like actually really excited to, to watch it. And then while I'm watching it unfold, not really knowing it was Steven Soderbergh, you know, going into it, I was like, it's just another fun film. And it had all the exact same beats as Ocean Eleven. I'm like, okay, I, I understand. And even, and we'll get to it, the reveal at the end was very Ocean's Eleven-y slash Contraband-y. Um, but I enjoyed it. It was fun. There was humor. Instead of Ocean's Eleven, it was Hillbillies and NASCAR. Um, overall, visually it was funny. I think that the character diversity really like played it up a bit. And I liked that the women were very strong and they played their pivotal roles in this film. Overall, I did enjoy this film. I enjoyed this film a lot too. It was uh, I didn't really know going into it what it would be. It kind of seemed comedic, um, and then it just took me by a pleasant surprise. You know, ex uh, first I'm watching it and I knew that I had a high rating from critics. And maybe like the first 15 minutes, I'm like, really, what did people see in this? And then it just kept <laughs> unfolding and unfolding, um, and it was just fantastic. It really took its time. It had that su southern slow pace to it. Um, in all situations, even when they're uh, in the midst of what what should be otherwise very stressful, uh, you know they had their southern charm and mm -hmm. um, hosp hospitality. Um, so I enjoyed it. And um, original characters, you know, um, the fact that um, that I'm getting lessons in science from a no jo guy named Joe Bang, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he's explaining it. Uh, I, it just it just worked on so many levels. Um, I had a blast with it. Uh, I, I do recommend it to anybody, and, uh, and it's a shame that, unfortunately, it's not hitting the box office in the way that it was intended, which we'll talk about sort of that mm -hmm. avenue because that's a whole separate discussion point. Um, but I had fun with it. That's, you know, recommend it to anyone. Yeah, it's definitely a fun film. I think the one thing that I had to initially really get over and then, you know, suspend my disbelief that this could all happen was... I truly didn't think that the our two protagonists of the film, they're in this. I don't mean to, for this to sound terrible, but I didn't believe that their intelligence level can pull something off as grand as this heist was. So I had to get over the fact that because maybe they are smarter than their character development was for the audience was led to believe. 
and I just had to get over that. I'm like, I'm not sure if these guys could actually pull that off. Um, I did because to me, we didn't have to see everything laid out in terms of the plan. Um, but they were so meticulous, like. They would literally talk about sort of everything and break it down, and um, and so I do believe that they kind of thought of everything, and they just had that calmness. Like um, when they get back into uh, Melly's. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Car. Smelly, <laughs> uh, which I thought was a funny joke from uh, from Joe, but nonetheless, you know, like uh, just the way Adam Driver's character uh, says to her, like, "Yeah, there was some complications at the end." Mm-hmm. You know, anyone else would have sort of been freaking out, but he just nonchalantly goes with it. Um, so I, I think there, yeah, definitely more credit needs to be given than perhaps they, we were led on beginning. Right, and I think that's why the story and movie works because it it does work. But you wouldn't expect these guys to actually pull off something like that, and then once they do, you're like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> you know. So I think that's what added and in second is beneficial yeah. to their characters. And the thing that was um, a nice added touch, I'll call it the Little Miss Sunshine um, edition <laughs> of having the little girl, right? Because she, yeah. you know, um, at first we're kind of introduced her, and she knows all her tools. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like Flathead or Phillips or, uh, you know, and all these things. And and so, you know, I, I appreciate that. Yet she had um, the duality of obviously being in the pageant system and, and uh, going along with that. Um, I thought that was a very nice touch that, you know, with the Oceans movies and any really other heist movies never had, to my knowledge. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I did like The Little Girl because it did bring the unrealistic aspect of the film back in and grounded i feel like in that family aspect that you find more in the south and i mean the rest of the country has family aspects but i feel in in the country aspect that's like uh what's a big key component to you know everyday living in the south is like that family element and i think you know having our our main protagonist you know, channing tatum like he always had to go back to his family. He always had to go back to his daughter. You know, there, there was, and she also helped the timeline in their timetables mm-hmm. with the whole schedule. So she, she added a lot. Well, th- that's what I think the difference between even a movie as recently as Baby Driver and all these other um, heist movies, uh, Oceans 11, 12, and 13, um, that's kind of a missing component. Like, you're obviously rooting for them and they have their reasons, but this was such a different reason. Um, you know, I mean, who's really done it for their family in this way mm-hmm. um, to this level? So I thought that that um, just gave it an emotional weight that I've not yet seen personally. Um, but let's let's uh, kind of quickly go back. Um, now, there's uh, conflicting reports that behind the ba- candelabra and uh, side effect are like, th- which movie is the last movie that he did? Oh, right, because they came around the same time. Yeah. In the year. Um, which New Yorker cites um, uh, the side effect. And then you have Entertainment Weekly citing behind the candelabra. Um, <laughs> from research, uh, Sodenberg kind of cites candelabra as the one that he was going to basically sort of not go in, well, in essence, go in retirement or certainly a hiatus. And then this uh, script came along to him, and he was really supposed to just more or less recommend a suitable director. And as he reads it, he falls in love with it. Um, and, you know, time went on. He was still looking for a director, um, but none was sort of coming to mind. Um, and so he was like, okay, well, you know what? I should be the one to direct this. And then then it kind of takes off from there. And it makes sense. I mean, he has, from all the other Oceans films, and I know I'm going to keep saying the Oceans films, but he knows this genre. He knows how to... Pl- successfully pull off heists in films and, and show it, film it, edit it, all, all that fun stuff. Um, so this is totally in his wheelhouse, and I'm glad that 
he jumped at the opportunity knowing that he he can do this. He's one of the best at pulling this off. So good for him. Absolutely. And um, we should definitely talk about Re- Rebecca Blunt, who who wrote the movie. Now, there's a huge asterisk when yes. I say she wrote the movie. There's a lot of question marks slash asterisks. Um, multiple sources actually tell that Hollywood Reporter says that Rebecca Blunt does not exist. That the there there's really that there's like conflicting arguments that one knowledgeable source says that either Soderbergh's wife Jules Asner wrote it, and another source says that Soderbergh wrote the script himself. But the cast members and and the crew members who who worked on this project, they said that they were in correspondence with a person in the UK under the name of Rebecca Blunt. But there's no stories that they actually met Rebecca Blunt in person. So we don't know if Rebecca Blunt is actually a person because this is considered her quote-unquote first credited title movie. Um, But a lot of it's like, is it really Soderbergh? (laughs) Which is quite ironic. Um, In the official press booklet um the bio reads rebecca blunt was raised in logan west virginia and hails from a family that worked the local coal mines for many generations after researching on the interweb how to make the ex- explosive device um, featured in the film she was informed her tsa pre-status was permanently revoked logan lucky is her first screenplay she now makes her home in new york city hmm. so if you live in new york i'm not saying stock but let's get to the bottom of this <laughs> yeah. in a in a friendly non-stalker ruining people's lives type of way can we just get to the truth yeah is rebecca blunt a real person and we know in history um hollywood history that there are famous writers who actually write under a pseudonym so it could be possible that rebecca blunt is a person and she's now finally getting credited or it could just be soderbergh writing under that pseudonym well because soderbergh himself he um he he edits and he shoots a lot of his stuff, um, so he uses, uses this. You know, when you when you talk about people, he directly uses this. Where he'll sometimes credit himself as Peter Andrews, mm-hmm. or in terms of editing, um, Mary Ann Bernard. <laughs> so, yeah. it's not uncommon for him to create an alias. Yeah, for a writer, yeah. he he he's all encompassing. He wears many hats. So. Uh, with all these conflicting arguments, because they said, and then we get to the promotion, but like promoting, there there wasn't any press kits. No one, no media outlets actually received press kits, so they didn't know anything about Rebecca Blunt. So we don't know. Mm-hmm. Now this, uh, because it's a movie like this, now this kind of calls into question of like, well, does uh, is it is it because like money's going to Rebecca and there's no taxes that need to be paid on it? Like, <laughs> what's going on? I want to know. Who knows? Who I want to know. But uh, <laughs> interesting story nonetheless. Um, so you know, obviously, we'll dive into the production aspects. Um, lots of fascinating stuff there. But let's um, let's spend a little bit of time talking about the uh, the story. And I figured as a quick jumping off point, let's talk about the heist movie as a genre itself. Um, according to the Rolling Stones, six steps to make a successful heist movie are is, one, you need a team whose whose members all have different personalities. Uh, two, usually one needs to be ethnic for diversity. Three, the actual plan needs to be laid out in the coolest of possible ways. Um, throw in one final impossible wrinkle to the mission at the last minute. Include a killer twist, we think, the um, when the heist is over. And let the team get away, but make them wonder if they truly did. Ah, those are good rules. I, I think those definitely fit within all the Ocean's Eleven films, other heist films that I've seen. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with those rules. <laughs> I agree too. You know, even a movie like Horrible Bosses too follows those same tropes. Um, yet it's kind of parodying that because they're the absolutely most atrocious people. This is right. kind of a um, a half parody because obviously they're not incompetent. Um, I love that uh, you usually need one ethnic guy for diversity. They had that in Oceans, in the Oceans movies. They had the Asian guy who could, who was small enough to get into the actual vault. Who would constitute so in this nice. case? I don't know because they were all white <laughs> Caucasian guys. Uh, I mean, you had Riley Keough who, who you know, who was Nelly, 
but or Melly, sorry. Um, but I'm trying to think of who the diverse person is. I mean, Adam Driver in some sense kind of looks. He has a diverse background, but obviously in the movie itself, he's not supposed to be. He's supposed to be brothers, so yeah. Um, that's as a, as diverse as he gets, but. I mean, when I say diverse, uh, his ancestry is Dutch, German, Irish, and Scottish. So that's as diverse as he gets. <laughs> it's very diverse. Um, but not in, the, not in the typical way we would consider diverse. <laughs> yeah. um, but one of the, you know, when you have, when your first rule is you need a team whose members all have different personalities. Um, that's in essence one of the first rules of script writing is like just by reading the dialogue, you should be able to t- tell the character mm-hmm. and I don't know about you, but I certainly got that. Every character was amazingly written and unique. Yeah, I feel, and even the the brothers of Joe Bang that they hired, they were all individual, and they had their moments too. Um, I thought everyone definitely stood out, and they all had their moment to shine. That mm-hmm. was memorable. Heck, even the prison people, the the the, the cons and... In the prison, like there, there were some of those that had memorable moments or lines. So I think everyone was completely different. You can't really um, like confuse one with with one another. And I think there was it was a good cast, and they well balanced each other. Yeah, they, they, you know when it, uh, the movie had its own devices in terms of motifs, uh, but they really were given to specific characters. So. Um, you know, when you talk about the prison, so we'll we'll start sort of simple and we'll build build our way up to the bigger characters. Um, the way they were and timing worked out perfect with the Game of Thrones references. <laughs> yes, that was <laughs> funny. I was that that's what made me laugh. Of like, you know, we want the le- next book, right? And it's 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 entertaining because you know we're we're in the industry, so we're constantly surrounded by Game of Thrones. But I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I knew how funny this joke was because when the prisoners who don't have have very limited access to any media whatsoever, when they know to a T when a certain book is supposed to be written slash published, I I found that inside knowledge really um, humorous because you wouldn't expect it from prisoners instead of yeah and uh the warden i thought um they played him so well of like we don't have riots at monroe county jail (laughs) (laughs) we don't have escapes at monroe county jail oh dwight yokum um, I th- I thought he was great as the the shitbag in in the movie. There there was a few of them, but the fact that he was so determined to make his prison like the best prison, and mm-hmm. he was so in denial what was happening under his own nose, which was really funny. But it's so believable because I I've um, whether it's other movies or real life instances, there are those people that just won't admit. Like they'll see it. Mm-hmm. But it's not good for the paperwork. It, it, you know, it puts a bad stink on it. Um, so it just made it. It just made it hysterical. And uh, obviously, he could have. He could have so helped Hillary Swank's character. <laughs> I know. But just pride, like that. That because that's what it really comes down to. It's just that pride, and in it's not really the job because it's not pride in the job. It's just pride of status. Yeah. That, and that also happens in Orange is the New Black. You know, the, the warden is a complete biatch who turns the other cheek to, um, to write things off as the, and for tax incentives and stuff like that. So uh, I like that that's a recurring trope. But this, the way that they showed it, with like juxtaposed even with the editing, that there's a riot going on, but they can't actually physically see it because they blocked the, the windows. I enjoy that. Hmm. Um. You know, and as we opened up, one of the I, let's start with the girl because you know she kind of ties in a lot of these things. Um, a, I thought she was a fantastic actress. B, um, I made mention you know that duality of you know she she's a tom girl, but at the same time she has beauty. Um, she's very smart, um, and that introduced us to um, the notion of uh, Country Road by John Denver. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like. If the, it was just such a feel-good moment towards the end. We're almost at the near completion of the movie when she's singing. And I don't mean this disrespectfully. Doesn't necessarily have the greatest voice. No. 
But then everyone else joins in, and though they don't have the... It's like when people sing Happy Birthday, and it's not in tune, it's not in key, but it just makes it feel good. It's the thought that counts. I enjoyed it because, again, it grounded Jimmy. And uh, because at the end of all this, you see that... In the end, he was doing this heist for his family, for his girl, for they them to have a better life and for him to provide for her. And I, it, it grounded his character and just, just shows like how good of a person he is as a person that he's thinking of other people to take mm-hmm. care of. And it also, it, it um, created like this, you know, the daughter didn't necessarily have too much screen time in that respect as, as the other people, but... Um, the weight of her was just so evident, um, and it was a great arc for her because, you know, I really thought we're uh, go see a fist fight if you want to see like great like moments on stage by uh, by girls or obviously there's a uh, Little Miss Sunshine, but when she said Rihanna's umbrella, mm. and based on what the kids said earlier about, oh, <laughs> I, I don't need to repeat it, right? But uh, I was like, oh dear lord, where are we headed? I thought that, that too. I thought it was going to be a fist, fist fight moment where she's just going to, you know, go crazy on the, on the stage. But I liked that they brought it back to a more sentimental type of uh, moment because it meant more to her father because it seems like this girl is more, yes, she has, her mom has full custody of her, but she's obviously more attached to her father. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it shows that Jimmy cares for her and she equally cares for him. And it also, it's one of those rare moments when, you know, we didn't, we, we had a pretty self-contained, uh, despite like the large number of actors, a pretty self-contained um, cast of characters. And at that point, it just brought in the entire county. That's mm-hmm. what made it so special. You know, it's one thing, because we, we, we've seen it before where it's that connection, but the rest of the audience is like, okay. <laughs> right. Uh, whereas this, everyone just got into it, the whole county, and, and it was just beautiful. I, I really liked that moment, and I think Jimmy. There was a moment where Jimmy teared up, and there was a moment in in the actual theater. I was like, "Oh wow!" I wasn't expecting that. It was mm-hmm. it was a nice surprise. Um, what other character bes- um, besides, let's say, Joe and and our two brothers um, stood out to you most? Whether because you like them, you dislike them, whatever the case may be. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed Hillary Swank. I mean, we can get into her a little bit. Um, because I've seen the trailers that she was in it. And watching the whole film, I'm like, where is she? <laughs> is she Because I always thought she was going to be the person like gunning for them. But she doesn't come to the third act. And honestly, she's great. I mean, she's fantastic fantastic actress but i feel like the character was too small for the caliber that she is mm-hmm. um not that that's bad for her i mean it's great that she's getting like small roles like this too but i'm like i felt like she was underutilized though um perhaps i mean there, there's been movies that we've talked about where i felt oh, okay that you know they didn't really give her much yes the role wasn't as big um screen time wise but what she did with it on the weight mm-hmm. of it, um, I thought, I thought they did. You know, I, I felt like like her presence was was there, and you could you could you got that sense from her how frustrated she was, like she just couldn't get that answer. No, <laughs> I mean she's <laughs> dealing with, I'll use the term apologies, shit bags left and right. Yep, and that are just like lying to, and she knows it. Like, wait, you know, and especially at the end when you know the the NASCAR. Um, uh, guy, I'll just call him, sort of dismisses her, and she's like, well, how do you know how much money you needed for the insurance? No, it's accounting. I don't really know. It's <laughs> on my area. Like, you know that he's lying through his teeth. Mm-hmm. I did like that she she actually had the answers. She just couldn't officially like prove it. And because you know, she says that, she says it out loud, like literally, do you expect these two guys did this during a whole heist? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, that whole, um, you know, uh, dramatic irony I, I enjoyed from that. But I think I was kind of more upset that at the end she still didn't officially get resolved that these two were it. I mean, she knew and she was finally there at the bar and she still had her hunches it was them. But it wasn't like clearly fully resolved that the like she didn't get them for an, yeah. an arrest or anything. She... Well, that's kind of um, 
you know, this this is sort of jumping ahead, but I'm, you know, since it ties in, I'll just say it. Um, you know, they had the notion that if the movie did well, they w- there would be a sequel. Now they weren't mm-hmm. necessarily planning it, so the ending still works, sp- whether or not there is a sequel. But um, I could see it now, like you know, it's one of those things, like um, you know, whether it's uh, the 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 Fast and the Furious type thing, where the cop now turns. And, and is part of the team, if you will. <laughs> right. Or maybe it's, you know, the next movie's all about her trying to prove <laughs> that they did this. Still prove it? I mean, she was close. She's literally in the same bar as those two. So she she's close. So I don't think that would take a whole nother film for her to know mm. it's them two when she knows already. It's just a matter of, like, actually making the official arrest. Yeah. And, you know, uh, speaking of characters that... Um, that I thought were good, although I hated him, was the uh, was the car owner, if you will. Yeah. Because yeah. Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> yeah. Out of all people, he was the one. Tra- I, by the way, I didn't recognize him at all. Max it- Chilbill Blaine. Oh, I totally recognize him. How you how how did you not? Recognize there were so many. I, I I give credit to all the actors because they played it so perfectly, and then the, just with the hair that he had. Um, I couldn't tell that was Seth MacFarlane until I, I, I did the research and I see Seth MacFarlane on the, the, the bill of actors and I'm like, huh? Oh, I'm surprised. Yeah, I mean, you love him. Uh, I I was, you know, when he first came on screen, I'm like, oh no, here we go. Because <laughs> I just know, I mean, granted, Seth MacFarlane very successful. So, like, this is not a, 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 a knock to him. But the characters he tends to play are like the a-holes. And watching him, I, I remember having this idea. I'm like, no, what are you doing? I was like, I couldn't trust his character at all. He was already set up to be dislikable. I'm glad that they kind of, in a way, made him a scapegoat in, in some aspects. Um, but his character had it coming, too. It was just so frustrating to watch him. Yeah. Well, that's why, you know, uh, it, it just played so well when he's the one who's trying to help out Hilary Swank's character, and yet... You know, she can't believe him because um, uh, the, the driver lied to, to them about seeing, obviously, um, Adam Driver's character. And so that's the irony is, like, out of all people, he's the one trying to tell the truth, and no one believes him. Yeah. So it but it great. if he was a nicer, better person and he wasn't such an a-hole, someone would actually believe him. Yeah. So, uh, again, it was more like... Kind of like karma, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, no one's gonna believe you because you're just a terrible person, anyways. Yeah, so it, it worked out, and it had that great moment. Um, let's talk about the the brothers, not um, not our main brothers, but the Bang brothers, if bang you will. Bang brothers. <laughs> um, just giving them that notion uh, that they would only do this for a moral reason. <laughs> Yeah, I had such to a, laugh at that. Such a specific thing. Uh, but I've never heard of that before. Obviously, just completely out of the blue. Um, but they, you know, it, it was just, they were so steadfast about it. That's what made it believable. I thought it was really funny because you wouldn't expect it. Again, you wouldn't expect it from guys like these. Um, I love their argument that, hey, this grocery store has screwed over people, so, yeah, we should screw them over, too. And then, uh, but then when it, the date changed to NASCAR, and they're like, we love NASCAR. We would never do this to NASCAR, or, you know, something along those lines. Because well, NASCAR is America. Because yeah, NASCAR is America. They're great. Um, I thought that that whole moral joke actually came, um, like, full circle when when now it affected NASCAR. And I think it made the joke hit better. <laughs> We're like, we can't do this NASCAR. Um, and it's so believable for um, for those guys. Um, now, in terms of the Logans, um, when it comes to them, uh, obviously, you know, there's the brothers, but but Melly's sort of kind of in this because uh, I want to get your take on the curse, right? Because when we talk about the ending, um, the curse kind of plays into. Um, it was brought into question. Did they break the curse finally, or is the fact that she's there part of the curse and now she's going to get them? And is Melly part of the curse, or is she like exempt from the brother's curse? I think she was actually exempt because all the bad stories that you hear were with Jimmy and... and uh, Jimmy what, what, what and, Clyde. and Clyde. And um, Clyde. 
it was it was more so the brothers' stories that we were hearing that and then I mean when we first inter- got introduced to Millie, she was telling like a whole uh, driving thing that she went she had to go to you know to because she was late. Um, I don't really call that bad luck, you know. Getting your arm blown off in war is bad luck. Well, he also got sent there because of the brother. Yes, but I don't think like. I think it would be the bad luck was only for the brothers and not for her. Yeah. She she just gets caught into their acts, but well, she helps save her. them. Yeah, yeah. I, I I really like the way she was written because she was written as a very strong character, mm-hmm. and uh, you know she was aware of the choices that she was making, and she built you know as far as the curse is concerned, I felt like she was bailing them out. Like she was the luck that they needed against their curse. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just the fact that she was such a badass, like, driver. and <laughs> I really like that. And she, you know, like, she challenged the, the all the guys around her. Um, even the, uh, the, the stepfather is like, you can't drive a stick, can you? <laughs> um, and, like, uh, not really condescending, but, like, putting them in their place. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy that from her. Yeah, and she did great. And she's, uh, she's worked with, um, Sodenberg before. Um, not... Well, obviously Magic Mike, but uh, Girlfriend Experience um, is something that uh, he produces, so he doesn't necessarily direct or write for, but um, so that's that's how to kind of, you know, she came into the picture and she just played it so great. Uh, I, th- I, th- I really liked, I'd have to say Melly was honestly my favorite out of all of them because she was always there helping in every situation. Now, she didn't really, like, complain, but... Um, when they needed her, she was there, and she followed through with everything. She was, like, the most dependable out of all of them. And she took She's act- a woman. <laughs> she took action, too. That's why, like, when when first Jimmy messed up the day of the week, you know, um, you know she's explained to him, like, I did this, I did that. And she, the, she was just so meticulous with the highways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, girl, you know your roads. Um, but... Uh, also, she was the driver. She was the getaway driver, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed also because usually that role goes to male. Mm-hmm. But it was a female. So I love that. Um, and in terms of, like, uh, as far as their accents are concerned, um, you know, as far as the research that we were able to pull, um, obviously everyone played it well, but um, it, she actually cites, like, uh, whenever she would see Daniel Craig, he just was continuing to be in character, whether it was the hotel or not. And he just, you know, he, um, uh, what do they call it? Um, method acting, if you method will. Method acting, yeah. Um, I can kind of expect it from Daniel Craig a little bit. And even uh, Adam Driver said for his accent that uh, it was a it was easier for him to slip into for the, the West Virginia accent because when he worked on another film, Adam Driver, um, when he worked on Silence, which was Martin Scorsese's film, there was like an Arab Portuguese accent to that, and he said that was actually harder than a Southern type of accent. Yeah, you know, he's kind of, um, he's not necessarily from that area, but like um, he's got, if you will, roots from that area. So, uh, you know, he was able to pull from there. Um, Channing Tatum actually born in Alabama, so... Um, you know, he obviously has roots in the, in the South. So, mm-hmm. uh, it felt authentic in that way, the way they treated the characters that, you know, it, cause it's, it, there's definitely instances where you're like, oh, this actor's just making fun of that accent uh-huh. as opposed to like just having that accent and, and letting it be part of the character. And it's funny because of the character, not the accent. Mm-hmm. You thought that? I thought they pulled it off well. Yeah. I, I thought so too. I um I think Southern accent is pretty easy to slip into. Um, I'm from <laughs> the Midwest, which is like really. I mean, Illinois is really conflicted with accents. We have all different types of accents just in our state alone. So I definitely understand like changing accents and in that way. I thought they did great. I didn't it didn't bother me at all. Um, I thought they definitely sounded where they came from. My not not really issue, but like my th- personal thing was they talked so slow, and I'm a fast talker. I was like, oh no, is this the whole film? <laughs> when it, like there's that slow draw, and like I I don't know if I can handle this. Um, I enjoyed it because it just offered a nice change of pace, um, both in terms of film, but also just in, in speech and um, and also thought process. Right now, granted, 
I probably couldn't stand it in real life. Um, there's someone we know that we work very closely with. They're like, spit it out! Yeah, just say it. You know? Because um, here's the thing. It's not that he just speaks slow, but he also, like, he he lets you in on his thought process. And mm-hmm. so one of the things I enjoyed, um, I thought one of the, the greater scenes was the cauliflower scene. Like, If you'll bring me back <laughs> into this... Now, you made the bacon, and you made it all crispy the way I like, so I appreciate that. So, and like, that was the reasoning he was going to go off and do this. Mm-hmm. Cauliflower. Um, yeah, I agree. I think the once we had the characters established that they're the, you know, a little bit on the, like, slower side just in, um, you know, how, how they think and, like, how they act, and people don't really take them seriously in, in that sense. But once we got that established, like you, in a way, you're rooting for them because you don't think they could really pull it off either. Mm-hmm. So, kind of like the underdog story. Indeed, and even um, we'll say um, even um, Katie Holmes, I thought did a did a really good job. You know, stood her own because uh, you know, with, with someone like Channing Tatum, right? He's sort of leaving, and the first time, and she's like, "I'm not done talking with you." Uh, yeah, I thought that was a you know that was a very stand her ground type of mentality. Now, granted, I, <laughs> I uh, obviously you could tell that there were problems in their marriage even without having to talk about them or see them. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of funny the the follow up that she has. Like she, you could tell like she doesn't really love this guy, but he's just with the dealerships just doing so well that he's a putz, but he's good to the. Like, yeah, it's like they she has more financial security (laughs) and and support in that way. Um, I I wasn't sure with the whole Bobby character with Katie Holmes because I I mean, I generally like Katie Holmes, but the the character because they set her up and are we set up to is she supposed to be super dislikable? Um, compared to oh the gr- the little girl should be with Jimmy we know that and I I was kind of concerned it was gonna go into another custody battle when he's like I'm getting my lawyer X Y and Z I'm like oh no I hope we don't get into that type of drama it's like they built her character up so dislikable that we're rooting for Jimmy to have full custody I'm gl- and I'm glad they didn't really go into that because at the end when the little girl's performing on stage you can tell that Bobby understood like the relationship between and how important it is from the father to the daughter so in a way uh she was likable at the end that she was tolerable with that. Yeah. yeah i thought i thought they towed that line pretty well um too and although we didn't get her quite as much but um um the love interest if you will uh, you know the yeah. nurse the nurse i thought um Though she didn't have a lot of screen time, I thought that was a nice little touch and gave um, him humanity. Because too often in a movie like this, or maybe just Hollywood movies, you could see um, where where he would have gone after and tried to get Katie Holmes back. And you know maybe she realizes the error of her ways. And now mm-hmm. that he's coming to this money, maybe she doesn't ask questions. But he's got money. Um, I'm glad it didn't. It wasn't that typical Hollywood storyline. I liked it too because like I believed there for you know that two minute scene on that whatever Winnebago (laughs) that they were on the trailer um I liked it because it shows that he had respect for you know that I don't want to say blue collar but like the the regular hard-working person who's trying to get their feet off the ground and like start a successful business in that way um I like that he appreciated that um so let's talk about the robbery and kind of the breakdown of it. Um, I'm, I've been trying to look up the full list of the ten rules. So if um, if any of you guys get it, which I'm sure you know in time it'll be sort of released, or you know um, I should have just kind of jotted it down as I'm at the movie theater, but I didn't write, I didn't bring anything to write with. Sorry. You were just enjoying the film. Absolutely. So I have seven. Well, technically eight because I remember the last one. Uh, one, decide to rob a bank. Okay, we got that established. Two, have a plan. Three, have a backup plan. Four, establish clear communications. Five, choose your partners carefully. Uh, six, expect the unexpected. Seven, shit happens. Um, and the last one being um, uh, know when to walk away. Yeah. Uh, which I thought, like, I thought this list was such a hilarious. Um, 
Wasn't notion. it like hang up the phone and know when to walk away or something like that? Yeah. yeah. Um, I really it, I really liked that because, A, just the way it was introduced of like, uh, again, Adam Driver's character. Like, I know you made your little list and all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but too many times, like, uh, I, I go back to um, what was the uh, – um, the Morgan Freeman, uh, Michael Caine movie, uh, Going in Style. Oh, yeah, right? I didn't that's, watch that one. <laughs> that's kind of a caper movie, and they had their own list, but it was such a lame like list because like, you know, they're trying to establish the rules of how to rob this bank. Um, I thought that movie was not really that successful, whereas this, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just such a simplistic list that, that it just worked you know, for them. Mm-hmm. And by the way, maybe that's the secret to life, Marissa. You think maybe they're not as smart. Maybe they just keep it simple, and that's why they're amazing. Yeah, and I think that's why some people fail, because they overthink. Yeah. Um, I liked it. It was so simple in that sense that you're like, okay, if you, if you like bring it down to that like easy way of thinking, then, yeah, maybe they can actually pull it off and it was in like the language that they understood just walk away shit happens you know i Hmm. mean and i think everyone just needs to look at it in that perspective i i agree as well um so it it worked out in the end um what was your uh before we move on to production what was your favorite moment of the movie if you will i think the whole um just the the chemistry lesson, the mini chemistry lesson, with the that was good with the bleach and sugar, and then he actually writes it on the wall the actual chemical compounds and properties of it. And I'm like, okay, now I understand why he is the de- the demolition guy. Um, he's the explosives. Uh, I understood that. I thought it was just so well uh, acted out and explained to those who didn't know. Like, how could you actually make a homemade bomb with bleach and sugar in that sense? And also, you know, that was such a great moment, too, of um, just the fact where they're like, it's it's maybe 20 or 30 yards. Well, which one is it? <laughs> um, and Dealing wh- with science. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's just, um, it was one of those moments like, A, you're wondering, like, did you guys think everything through? B, just like almost like a not like an intentional disrespect for um, someone else's job, but just complete like, why, why does that matter? You know, it'd be like me asking you to do, I don't, I, I don't know, like build a car and I gave you a bunch of, they're like, what's it matter? You're just building a car. It's like, no, I need specific tools and you right. asked me to do this job. Um, so so I, I appreciate that. I thought that, that worked really well. Um, yeah, and you think, because usually like, uh, if Going back to the, the Oceans movies, you saw before they even pulled off the heist that they did practice runs. They did dry runs. They got the dimensions of the actual location that they were going to be in. They knew the size in, of the environment, and we didn't see that in, in this. Um, I thought that they were actually getting the size of the, the bank vault when they went in to do the, the spraying mm-hmm. and get the cockroaches out. I thought simultaneously they're getting the measurements of the room. Uh, mm-hmm. as they're going along the perimeter. And that didn't really play out to what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought there was going to be dry, dry runs where that would answer the questions, how how many yards is it? Yeah. Well, that didn't happen. But um, by the way, even just down to the, um, I'll call her the uh, cake lady. Um, oh, even she, like... My birthday. Y- she walked away, you know, with, with, with uh, something. I like that. I felt so bad for her because she she was just a normal, innocent woman who unfortunate shit was happening to her. Like she she was kind of unlucky in that way. So I was kind of glad that it was sad that she had to walk. I'm like I didn't get to finish my birthday cake. I know that <laughs> feeling, um, <laughs> but uh, I felt for her, and I'm glad that she got something at the end. Again, it was more so the the people who got paid at the end were the ones who we've seen throughout the movie just paying their dues and, like, going through their regular routine work and just trying to, like, get by in life. So I like that they all, you know, got a reward at the end. Absolutely. And, and that conscious, that that's what made um, the Logans sort of be full, fleshed-out characters because, yeah, they didn't, they didn't have to do that. Yeah. 
you know, they could have walked away and that could have been it. And, you know, they could have screwed them over. But that humanity to be like, no, you, you unknowingly were part of the plan. So we're going to reward you. Um, but, uh, so as we get into the production aspects of things, I thought, um, I don't know if you actually stayed for this, but um, at the end of the movie, um, normally there's like a stand, uh, this is a work of fiction disclaimer. Uh, what they added was nobody was robbed during the making of this movie except you. <laughs> We're like, I don't oh, know. No. So I'm wondering what they intended to mean by that. I I don't know. Maybe that was just a joke. Um, no, I did not see that that part. I didn't really expect that coming from a Soderbergh film that there'd be you know end credits to to that. I think that's funny though. Mm-hmm. Because it makes you think. Or like, were you really robbed? Was your bank is your bank account now empty? Who knows? That's funny. I don't know. Um, all right, so let's talk about Sodenberg. Um, a very obviously very interesting sort of um, history. Um, you know, we uh, obviously we've been talking about the Oceans movies, but even uh, Aaron Brockovich, another Julie, Julia Roberts movie that he's yeah. he's worked with her on. Uh, Magic Mike, um, and you really like the Nick as well. The Nick was the, great. The TV show, yeah, that was fantastic. That was well edited, um, well acted, well shot because um, that show was like uh, grew. They there was a lot. Of, the cinematography on it was like so well done. Um, I'd give them an Oscar, not an Emmy, for cinematography. Um, but that's Soderbergh. He has that visual eye of how to capture scenes, and you could pause a movie. Or like anywhere in his movie, and you could take a picture. It's just so well framed for mm-hmm. everything. Um, but that's that's the visual creativeness that he has, and there are some directors that are like that. Well, that's what he he was um, he was getting a little like in terms of wanting to take uh, a hiatus. He was getting burnt out from that show because you know it really rested on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to do a movie, but uh, that was what ten episodes a season. Yeah. Um, that's a that's like an hour's worth because it's on um you know it's on a premium cable network it's Showtime, yeah. So um therefore, you know when you shoot an hour, you're making an hour. It's not like um most of the like the the cable networks where it's like ends up being like forty forty two minutes. You're making an hour. Mm-hmm. Um so and over the course of ten, so that's. <laughs> Yeah, that he did. Up. He did twenty episodes, and television production is usually more of a marathon than a movie. Movies done within a few months. Television is like you go all year, or you know you go longer, and your production days are longer, and uh, turnaround is faster. So mm-hmm. you, you just got to keep going. Um, I appreciate Soderbergh in that um, sense that because he is so visually stylistic, he can wear multiple hats and knock out episodes after one another because he just has the workflow of so many different people that he can get it done faster. Absolutely. And, you know, um, and I think he's, I think he's great. I mean, um, you know, kind of like a Robert Rodriguez type of person where he does his own shooting, editing, um, oftentimes writing as well. Um, And just has his own style. And isn't afraid to go for it, which is so rare. Like, you know, granted, it's part of, partly um, just a logistical nightmare to have to do all of those things. Mm-hmm. It's quite daunting. Um, I've made very crappy short films. I've I've not made my own feature film, uh, and it's just a grueling process. It is. So the fact that he's been successful at it um, as an actor over so many years um, really speaks volumes. It really does. Yeah, and I like uh, I like the visual aspect of him. He, he has that a certain look, a signature look. Uh, all of his shows and movies, they kind of have this orange, yellowish, warm tint to mm. it. And um, I, I enjoyed that because it kind of plays along with, like, is it, is it dramatic? Is it comedy? It, there's just, like, a subtle yellow to all of his films, which I enjoy. And this had kind of, I, I would say, a similar style as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we got the dirt, but then, you know, everyone's clothes. And I just love, I love, like, we're wearing camo pants and <laughs> whatnot. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, it was 
very, very distinguished in terms of both look and, and also costuming and everything of that nature. Yeah. Then Nick was all um, browns and, and, and yellow and orange. So. Yeah, which um, I didn't see too much of that, but I, yeah, I mean, that was what a lot of just the operating room. Mm-hmm. And unlike the, the ER, this was like early <laughs> yeah. century. This is the streets of New York back in like 19, 1900. <laughs> yeah. So obviously a much different um, hospital than we, we would normally get yeah. today. But he, he has this uh, individual look to his films. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, this, this movie took about 35 days to shoot, which um relatively fast if you kind of look at it, uh, especially like... Big, big things. Um, you that's know. really sorry. sorry. That, that's really fast considering all the locations that they were in. To mm-hmm. think they only filmed that within a month is mind blowing. Absolutely. Um, and one of the biggest things, like um, you know, um, we talked about this with um, draft day, where like they got the NFL involved on that, and that mm-hmm. ended up really enriching that movie because I don't think a movie like that wouldn't have worked without the NFL's involvement. Well, a movie like this without getting NASCAR really on board, certainly I don't think would have played, you know, as well. Luckily, NASCAR did get on board, and uh, I'll read the quote. Um, We worked very hard to get NASCAR on board as a partner because we really felt that it was crucial because if you couldn't shoot at the real race and put your people there, then it wouldn't be compelling. Luckily, we started conversations with them very early. The script came to me while we were shooting Magic Mike XXL. So that... um, so that would have been in the fall of 2014, and we immediately started conversations with NASCAR to get their assistance. If we weren't able to do what we did, I don't think we would have made the movie. Um, it's such a unique event that I don't know what, what solve we would have come up with. Um, now, in terms of the actual day, um, he, he said, we had no problems. It was really well organized. NASCAR took really great care of us. I think everybody um, did everything we needed, and we didn't get in anybody's way. I um, it couldn't have gone any better. It was exciting. That event was pretty crazy. The scale of it was massive. And on that day, we had five cameras running around. But it was all plotted out. Everybody knew um, where they were going, where they had to go, um, and so forth. So, you know, in that respect, like, you, you know, you kind of really – I'm, I'm excited to see kind of the behind-the-scenes features. Right. But in essence, like, it's already grueling enough to make a movie. But when you're based around, like, somebody else's schedule, somebody else's event, you can't really get in their way. Um, you just have to make do with what you got. And if you miss it, you missed it. Right. And when you have the full support of the person or the place, venue where you're shooting, that makes it all the more authentic. And I, I like that NASA was so... NASA. NASA. <laughs> that NASCAR was so on board. But I was actually going to bring up that we, we've covered other movies here. You know, the, the, a lot of the space films, um, this mm-hmm. is where NASA was in my head, like The Martian. Um, life recently, um, you know, we NASA even gets on board, and even uh, Hidden Figures. Na- um, so it, we, this isn't the first time where an organization or establishment has actually helped with the authenticity of a story, and it definitely worked for this. And by the way, I'm, I'm you know, I'm glad that they did because it's not like, um, with a movie like this, it's fun and whatnot, but it's not like, um placing the bet like it's not a nascar movie i'll just put it that way b um it's not like it puts nascar in a bad light by any means no but it's a heist movie telling people how to basically rob nascar mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you could be like love nascar <laughs> yeah so you could be like uh you know hey guys like if you guys were making a nascar movie maybe we'd do it because draft day is obviously all about the love of the nfl mm-hmm. and the process in draft day this is not, a, as I said, not a NASCAR movie. Um, so I don't want that to be lost. How amazing it is to just get them to sign off. Right. I, I think that's great. And um, I love it. It did show, you know, even the monetary system of how they, they push their money. Um, I, I enjoy that because it, it really did feel like if you're just a regular per customer, you know, or whoever going through NASCAR, like you wouldn't think of, oh, where did they store all the money? You know, mm-hmm. all, all those outsider things, or more so insider information that uh, I like that NASCAR could prov- could provide for them. There, there was another film that I was thinking of, uh, National Treasure, <laughs> when mm-hmm. they stole the Declaration of Independence. I think that's another film that actually 
well explain how you properly steal the Declaration of Independence. So <laughs> there you, you go. Know, it works. Sometimes it works. We'll categorize these movies on the how tos. <laughs> how tos. Yeah. Um. All right. So um, I, I didn't pull. A, I wasn't able to pull a lot of information in terms of the ending or or things of that nature, just because it um. It all just fell on S- Sodenberg, right? And so whenever yeah. he gets interviewed, obviously, you know, he's getting interviewed about the story and things of that nature. Um, not to say that the editing isn't um, crucial to it, but he's just wearing so many damn hats. He can only ask so many questions. Right, and I think the editing played well in this film because you can always, editing always tells the story. And to go off of his lines, they'll will let them know only what they think they know. Um, and that's where the editing came came played. They used certain shots to show only certain angles of what some characters are actually doing. And then, uh, like, when, again, this is why I say it has all the same pieces of Ocean Eleven, the whole reveal of how they got away with it, going back to the exact same scenes but showing different angles, they were like, oh, when she walked away in this direction, this person actually came in right after her. You know, like, you, you saw... Going back to the same scenes, the and the more extension of the edits um, yeah. really helps reveal the heist. And it, that it's really a fine art that that he's been able to finesse because it can feel manipulative. And we've talked about other movies. Um, I'm drawing a blank in terms of being able to reference one in particular, where it's like, okay, you're just withholding information from the audience, and it's not organic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's done very. Um, purposefully but not in a good spirit um and so with this i thought um it worked really well yeah i think another film that uh, i mentioned earlier contraband does the the same thing with mark Wahlberg, uh where they're like they help (laughs) steal some some drugs to, to some traffic but they showed at the end how they revealed and how they got because in this film they they got the money in trash bags. You think it went in one location, but it actually went somewhere else. Contraband does the same thing. Like, hey, you think we put it here, but we're actually buried it here in the water, and it's going to float up to us later yeah. on. You know, so spoiler for that film. <laughs> but uh, again, it's showing like dr- misdirecting someone to to, those uh, to a place. Absolutely. Well. Let's talk about, um, as I mentioned at the top, um, the distribution of this is a whole topic of itself. So we're going to dive into that. But um, a couple of things before we dive into it. I want to ask you guys, uh, listening, watching, whatever it may be, let us know, A, your could be top five or let's say top ten. Maybe just top five. If you really can't hone it down to top five, give us the top ten heist movies you love, whether it's Bank Job whether it's Baby Driver, technically, whether mm-hmm. it's um, uh, The Usual Suspects, whatever you want. Um, let us know what your top movies are. Be curious to know. And, of course, as always, um, comment. Let us know what you thought of the movie, anything that we didn't discuss that you guys want to discuss further. Um, we're happy to do so in the various comment sections or via our social media, which is at Serafini TV. That's right. At PD Svitek. So definitely, uh, definitely continue the conversation there. But... Let's let's now shift gears, and let's uh, let's talk about the. You know, th- this was a vehicle where he really went against the studio system, uh, much like music in a sense is going, where uh, they're getting rid of these labels and mm-hmm. putting money more in, in directly into the hands of the creators. Sonnenberg was kind of um, really seeking this, and the interesting part is um, Dan Feldman, who ran Warner Brothers for for some time. He actually is credited as an executive producer, so he was able to sort of help with the distribution for this. Um, so I thought it was very interesting, but um, I'll let you kind of continue it as well. Yeah, so Soderbergh started a domestic distribution company called Fingerprint Releasing, and they actually partnered up with Amazon Prime um, to look for a, a wide release. So Logan Lucky is the first, and he's teaming up with Bleecker Street, which is a small, um, uh, small distribution company. They they recently just did Megan Levy, which I still love that movie, and you have to watch it. Um, check out our anatomy for yes, it too. Yes, go check out Ma- Megan Levy. Um, so they're they're a smaller distribution, but they're they have more movies coming to them that they're slowly getting bigger. 
um, and there it is set to release on August 18th. Um, so right now, I mean, this film was released in 3,000 theaters, so it wasn't di- like directly to an actual studio. They worked with smaller distribution companies to get it full released. And t- in today's day and age, because uh, because theaters are all digital, you know, all you really have to do is just basically send out a file. Yeah. In essence. So Put you, it on hard drives. That's where yeah. the hard drives and advertisements come in. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, because in the old days you had to make film prints and those weren't fun days. But, um, you know, everything's now digital, which is great. Um, all in all, like, it might sound like a lot, but they only spent about $20 million on marketing and everything else, which the grand scheme of things sounds like a lot, but it's actually not. No, it's not. And I wasn't hit over the head with trailers and advertisements for this film. I've o- The only time I really saw this film promoted was in the theaters, so I only just saw the trailers. That mm-hmm. was it. So, um, the promotion was sparing. Now, um... So it's kind of, uh, I'll give a couple of quotes um, from Sodenberg himself. Uh, By all standards, this is a studio movie. It's a very commercial movie with movie stars, and it's going out to about 3,000 screens. The question is, can you do what the studios normally do from a distribution standpoint with a lot less resources and with a much better economic structure for the people who made the film? That's what he's aiming to do. Um, My feeling is that it's gotten way too expensive to release a a film-wide. And the way that the economic structure of a studio is set up, if you've done what you've done on this movie, which is everybody's work for scale, you're, you're far too away from the money. Um, there, there's one component that hasn't been done. When he talks about this, you know, in terms of his model, all of these are components that have been done before. But as he says, there's no component that hasn't been done before. But I think it's a combination of elements that, um, that he's doing. Right. Mm-hmm. So there have been advancements in technology that make it a lot easier. Um, the economic model is pretty simple. You sell the foreign rights to cover the cost of the film, um, negative, uh, which is something that uh, Valerian did as well. Um, and so, you know, he's he's kind of utilizing that. Now, granted, uh, whether it's Valerian or this movie, not really hitting the box office in the way that it was intended. Yeah. Which is a shame. I still haven't seen that one. But, yeah, I, I completely agree. If Instead of going to, like, one big distribution company, he went to smaller ones that helped still get the same amount of theaters that he wanted that you could have gone from just one person. I think that's smart, though. Um, and if he that's economically efficient, if that's what he was going for. He, he, he pulled it off. He did, but, um, you know, in terms of the return on everything, um, it's just... You know, it, as of right now, it's made about $10 million. It, you know, opening weekend came in third, which is abysmal if you really look at it. It only made $7.6 million. So yeah. the fact that it was third, and that's the, the number that we came in at third. Yeah, it's it's really low considering the the talent that he has in this film. Daniel mm-hmm. Craig, Hilary Swank, you have Adam Driver, and Channing Tatum. Like, they all have big audience in their own right, and in different demographics and different genres, and it's unfortunate that this film isn't reflecting the type of audience that this film could actually bring in. Yeah, it has a B on Cinema Score and a ninety-three on Rotten Tomatoes, and I, I'm curious, like, what is the disconnect? Like, what are uh, why a B? I really don't mm-hmm. get it. B's Fine, low. B, give it a B plus. Like, if you give it a B plus, I'd still be upset, but I'm like, okay, maybe. I think it's more like an A minus um, in terms of what it should have been. I, you know, I really think it's a fantastic movie. And I, I just don't understand why audiences have it lower than critics. Yeah, I don't get that either. And this is a film where, and we've talked about films where they try t- doing too much and it gets all too convoluted. Atomic Blonde, and then we, but this film had a lot going on, but not once did I not understand what was happening. I always could follow the story with a, whatever character, whatever they were doing, I always understood what part of the plan w- they were at. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it did a great job of 
straight lining that and actually making it concise and clear for us to understand. So it's unfortunate. I don't know where, like, what was wrong with the story or if it wasn't the story that was disconnecting with the the critics. Well, not the critic. The the critics were loving it. The fans. So the fans. Fine. Fans. (laughs) I'm very curious. Um, You guys are fans. You you um, you at home. um, Let us know. Did you love it? Did you not? Uh, I'm very... I, I would like to know the answer. And don't just... Give us a good answer. Like, if you didn't like it, fine. That's okay. But I'm curious as to why. Really why. Because, you know, Marissa and I have been talking, and we've stated our reasons why we do like it. Yeah. So... And I think, you know, if it's coming from the fans' perspectives, fans usually pull from stuff that they know. Shoot, I've dropped Ocean's movies how many times in this dissection? It, like, if it comes from a fan's perspective, unfortunately, they're going to g- compare it to a lot of other heist movies that maybe they thought was better. So maybe I that's... Think I think I don't know. I would say, yes, it has those tropes, especially because it's the same director. But nonetheless, it's just... It's still different and fun. So, anyway... Any final thoughts before we wrap up today's day section? I probably would see a sequel if they made it. I hope they don't because I don't think this film needed mm-hmm. needs a sequel. It doesn't boast a sequel. Um, hopefully this gets better word of mouth. I think that's the only thing that can really help it now. Here's what I'm going to do to help this movie. Anthony, for those of you guys who are longtime listeners or, or uh, viewers... Anthony is our engineer in the booth. Sometimes he chimes in. I'm kidnapping him this weekend, and I'm going to make him go see this movie with me. So, A, they're getting my money's worth the second time. B, I'm bringing somebody else. There you go. Bring Um, more people to go see it. I'm so down. I want to watch this movie. Good, good. good. All right. Well, speaking of which, uh, why don't you play some John Denver for me? Um, That'll that'll get me in the mood to really wrap this up. Thank you. And if they do do a sequel, Bleecker Street actually has the rights to distribute the, the second As one. they should. You they just... should. Bleecker Street's great. I've seen, like, their last five films, and I approve of every single one of them. They're doing good. They're doing good. Yeah. Speaking of doing good, I think we did good at Serafini TV. That's right. That's where you can follow Marissa Serafini. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Dimitri, even though he wasn't here today, he loved the movie as well. At D Movies 1701 for him, at PD Svitek, or just go to philsvitek.com. Um, of course, check out all of our other popcorn talk shows here. Um, we've got a plethora of them to, to satiate your movie appetite. Um, and even just on our Anatomy of a Movie, we have so many dissections that we've done over the years, so definitely check that out. Um, I believe we did Behind the Gambler Opera. No, we didn't. Yeah, we did not. But we did Megan Levy. We didn't. <laughs> that's not a Steven Zuckerberg movie, but no, it's, it's not. a Bleecker Street but, movie. Um, so, but I covered the Nick on our sister network, the AfterBuzz TV. Go check out the Nick After Show. That's right. Check that out. Um, thank you guys as always. Uh, we've got um, next week because the lineup of movies is a little bit slow. In August, we're going to actually return to Close Encounters of the Third T- Kind. Because it's being re-released in movie theaters, so we thought that would be fun to do. Um, and down retro. the line, yes, or retro. Down the line, we've got it. Down the line, we've got uh, plenty of uh, mother, mother, um, the new um, Darren Aronofsky movie. So lots to look forward to. Lots in the, the rear view mirror. Um, but we're gonna take you home now, or well, you're gonna drive yourself home, <laughs> but we're gonna go home. See you next time. Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.